Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me first and foremost for today's Metro Bank One Day Cup review show is, of course, everybody's favourite up-and-coming cricket journalist, Mr. Kieran McCarthy. So, Kieran, first things first, mate, great to have you back on the podcast for a chat about all things Metro Bank fever. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? My day's been okay so far, thank you. How's your day been so far? You know what, Kieran? It's, it's been it's been wonderful. It's been absolutely fantastic so far. As we'll discuss, things are going quite well for my county of Warwickshire in the Metro Bank One Day Cup, and yeah, that does have a, a knock on effect, doesn't it? Life just seems better when your team are doing well in a cricket competition. So yeah, I'm having a really good day, mate. And obviously, we're here with another review show. What better way to kickstart things? on a Monday morning. And folks, it's not just myself and Kieran appearing on today's episode of the County Cricket Podcast. Seeing as the Metro Bank One Day Cup is such a prestigious tournament, we thought we'd bring in the heavy guns for our second week review show. So without further ado, I think it's time to introduce our guest analyst for today's show, which is, of course, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Harry Everett. So Harry, first things first, mate, great to have you here on the podcast for a chat about all things One Day Cup action. Again, I'll ask you the exact same question, mate. How's your day been so far? Yeah, I don't want to bring the bring the downer. I'm buzzing about the one day cut, but I'm in a bit of a miserable, miserable state. I should probably flip my flip my camera around and show you my leg. I'm a bit of a downer. I had a freak injury on Saturday and I'm absolutely gutted. I'm gonna be out of action for a few days. Won't be able to work, drive, or play any cricket. So I was gonna be playing at the home of the Overtons in Glenquirl and Chris Rogers. Touring game at Instone North Devon today and had to pull out of that. And yesterday, and was in A&E all Saturday night, having, well, I tried to bat on, and then eventually got out, and then um, tried to bowl, tried to field, and it was a disaster, so just went to A&E. Christ, so, Sorry, <laughs> not, not so great. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not ideal, mate, but fingers crossed we can lift the spirits with yeah, today's hopefully. Metro Bank One Day Cup review show, get you in a bit more of a of a better mood after a tough weekend, and obviously, mate, we're wishing you the best of luck with the yeah, recovery on that you. injury. Kookaburra, hopefully going to ring me today and somehow explain how being hit on the pad by a ball has caused something sharp inside the pad to cause a massive hole in my leg. So, um, yeah, no idea how. No one knows. So, some, hopefully I'll have an answer by the end of today and some kind of compensation, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Deserve it after that. Goodness me, I did see the pictures on Twitter. Yeah. did look very nasty, to say the least. But, folks, let's lift the spirits then. Harry, yeah. let's get you in a better mood for today's <laughs> Monday morning, and let's talk all things Metro Bank One Day Cup. So, without further ado, let's start first and foremost with Group A. And Kieran, I'll start with you first, mate. What have you selected as your standout batting display in Group A this week? Which particular performance really stood out to you over the course of these last seven days? Um, again, there's there's sort of a few options that I could have gone for. There's been a few hundreds and. Um, a couple actually in the same game, um, uh, the, the one that I've gone for, um, which was the Leicestershire um, game against Lanks. Um, so obviously Rishi Patel scored 100, as did Colin Ackerman. And Colin Ackerman's was actually a really quick one, which generally I would favour. But um, I have gone for Rishi Patel and that he scored 161, um, setting the platform for a fairly large score of 411 um, and that meant that he's now scored 100 in all three formats this season um, so difficult to look past Rishi Patel for me. 
Well, I think that's a fair choice, to be honest, mate. And yeah, I went the exact same. Rishi Patel's blistering 161 against Lancashire at Old Trafford. It was a magnificent knock. And what really stood out to me was not just the fours and sixes. I mean, he did score 17 fours and five sixes over the course of that mammoth knock. But it was the way in which he was conducting the field almost with his ones and twos, just picking the gaps, really making sure that Lanks were never really settled or comfortable in that bowling innings. And I just think it was a brilliant knock, a fantastic effort from Rishi Patel. And as you said, centuries across all three formats. He's having a wonderful season. So shout out to Rishi Patel, a magnificent knock, to say the very least, up in the northwest of England this week. And Harry, did you choose that particular knock from Rishi Patel? Yeah, or have you seen I it actually did. Yeah, sorry did. to not be, not be controversial, but I did, yeah. Rishi Patel, he's got that high score of 179 in first-class cricket. You know he can go big. And I think he's a quality player and he's just just 25 now. Four first-class hundreds, two list A hundreds now. And even have a T20 hundred. He's one of those players who, who can be an all-format player. And Leicestershire are doing really well this competition. And it's great to see them having a good run. And that their top seven is is quality. You think Kimber, Mulder, so many other players. But you know some quality players barely need in that game because Ackerman and Patel did so much and got well over 400. Absolutely. So I think we're all in, in agreement, aren't we, gents? Rishi Patel's one six one. It was a great knock and thoroughly deserving of standout batting performance of the week in Group A. And this will be the interesting one then, because we were all in agreements for that first segment on today's episode. But let's go to our standout bowling display in Group A this week. And Harry, I shall start with you first, mate. Who have you selected in this particular category? Because there's a couple that we could choose from. Yeah, I'm still a bit torn, you know. I was going to bottle it and say, why don't you go first and I'll see if I agree. So many options. I'm trying to work out where to go with this. Oh, I want, I'm thinking Blatherwick because Jack Blatherwick, to open the bowl and get 4.52 for Lanks against Kent, I thought that was pretty useful because Lanks got 328 on the board. To bowl Kent out for 203 was, was pretty useful. Blatherwick getting leaning, Finch, Everson and Basie sort of ripping out the middle order. That was a contender. Um, but I'm still still not sure whether to go exactly with that one, or maybe I'll, I'll see see what you guys think, and then maybe see if, I, if I'm going to stick with that one as my that's my initial thought. I'll just give you one to start with. No, that's fair enough. And to be honest, I do think we need to discuss Jack Blatherwick's season on this podcast because Kieran, we haven't really discussed his his efforts in either the Championship or indeed the One Day Cup so far this summer. But he's having a really good time of it in a Lancashire, isn't he? I mean, he's bowling at a better pace, he's taking wickets, and he has been a danger for the Red Rose across competition so far this summer. So even though I didn't select that one, in fairness, Harry, I've chosen a slightly different performance. I think Jack Blatherwick definitely does deserve some plaudits. I think he's having a very good summer up in the northwest of England. So fair play for that shout. So I think that is a very good suggestion. To so I'm trying to be a bit... Yeah, trying to be a bit rogue and off the one. I've got to give him the other one as well. I was thinking Patterson being, you know, we know how good Hutton and Patterson, probably the best opening partnership in the comp, I'd say. Not, you know, those two together and they can both bat a bit. My other one was going to be Patterson four for 41 uh, for knots against Hampshire. But we know how good Patterson and Hutton are and, and they could almost, one of them could win this, this accolade every week. So, yeah, just to check something slightly different out there. I like it. That's why we've got you on the podcast, Harry. Rogue suggestions. You know, go something a little bit different. Fair play, mate. Stick with your guns. We'll stick with Jack Blatherwick for, for that particular category then. But, Kieran, I'm fascinated to see who you've gone with for this category because, funnily enough, I've gone for a former Somerset player 
who now plays for Yorkshire. Have you gone with the same suggestion or do you see it slightly differently? No, he was going to be one of my honourable mentions. Uh, I can see why you would assume that I may go for somebody who plays for Yorkshire. And I do think that um, Don Bess as five for 37 is um, probably his best bowling performance of the season. Um, not had a fantastic season, particularly in red ball cricket. Uh, he has been a little bit better in white ball. Um, and yeah, that was a, a great performance alongside Matt Revis, who also took a four for. Um, but yeah, this this is one of my rogue ones. Um, and I've actually gone for Dan Moriarty because right, it is, his figures of three for 55, irrelevant. It's basically just for the last over. Um, Notts needed six to win from the final over. Um, Dan Moriarty, a spinner bowling it, took two for two. Um, and there was also a run out. And it was just like the tightness of his bowling. You know, when you think of a, of a spinner, bowling the final over of a, of a white ball game with six to win, you assume that the batting side are probably going to win. Um, and the fact that he was so tight and um, there were three wickets off the over um, was just a phenomenal performance um, and obviously won them the game. So a um, little bit rogue, but yeah, for me, Dan Moriarty. I like it. I'm exactly the same as Harry there. I really like that suggestion, Kieran. And do you know what it reminded me of? Funnily enough, talking of left-arm spinners, I'm not sure if you two remember this, but back in 2018 at Old Trafford, Liam Travaskis, that final over Mm, against Lancashire in the blast, it just reminded me of that. It was county cricket heritage. It really was. So I love that suggestion, Kieran. And Dan Moriarty, again, what a cricketer. Should be playing across formats for Surrey, if you ask me. So, yeah, he certainly came through in the clutch, didn't he, Mr Moriarty? And, yeah, got Surrey the victory there at the John Fretwell Complex in Welbeck. So we've gone with Jack Blatherwick, Dan Moriarty. I have played it safe. I've gone with Don Bessie's 537, purely because of the way in which it just catalyzed a spectacular Essex collapse. They were 95 for none within the space of 10 overs, ultimately being dismissed for 221. And Don Bess really was the spark which ignited that collapse in Chelmsford for this week. So I've gone with Don Bess, but I did think that would be a very tough category. Because in Group A this week, we've seen a whole plethora of good bowling displays. And Kieran, you mentioned Matt Revis with that 4.54 as well in that game in Chelmsford. I thought he bowled really well too. So we've got four suggestions for that one category, which really does just, it suggests that Group A has seen some excellent displays this week. So yeah, fair play to each and every single one of those bowlers who we have mentioned there. A very good week for the bowlers in Group A, but... Moving on from our bowling displays then, chaps, let's move on to our under-25 player of the week. And Kieran, I'm fascinated, to be honest, to see who you've selected for this because we usually disagree when it comes to the young guns on this podcast. So who do you say is the under-25 player who has stood out to you the most in Group A over the course of this past week? I have a feeling that we may agree on this one, uh, just from having spoken about him um, not on the podcast a little bit. Um, I've gone for Essex as Charlie Allison. Um, oh, the same as me. I was hoping that was just me. <laughs> um, against Middlesex. A few big sixes for an 18-year-old to hit. The, uh, his, the way that he got to 50, just a glorious drive over the top, over the bowler's head. Um, and then not just his batting, which obviously, you know, helped the platform uh, for the Essex score. But in the field, he basically won them the game. That final wicket, um, where he took, he had two runouts, um, which 
it, it was sort of part of a, a quite a big collapse, the first one, um, when he ran out Luke Holman. Um, Middlesex needed 53 at that point um, to take them six down. So obviously still, you know, very much in with a chance of winning the game. And then Middlesex needing five to win with eight balls left. Um, and if Bamba's thick edge to third man had have gone for four, that basically kills the game. Charlie Allison, massive dive down the boundary, stops it. And I assume Bamba must have thought it was going for four because, like, how short he was of his ground at, at the end. Like, he he can't have run the first run anywhere near hard enough. Um, but just, like, massive full-strength dive from Charlie Allison. Chucks the ball in. Will Bortman takes the stunts. And then just absolute scenes from, like, all of the Essex players. Um, just the overall performance is good. And, and that moment in itself just sort of... Um, epitomise the, the strength of, of the performance from an 18-year-old. Um, so for me, it's quite obvious that it, it was Charlie Ellison. Fair enough. And Harry, did you agree with that? I'm guessing you did. Yeah. By I, that thought, reaction. I thought I was being a bit niche. I thought I'd get away with being unique on that one. I'm a bit gutted, actually. Yeah, done a fair amount of research on Alison lately. Of course, Ben Allison's younger brother. I know that Ben's been playing a bit more county cricket than Charlie. But yeah, good on him, that, that, that crucial 70 most of, most of what I was going to say has been said. So, yeah, we're, we're allowed to agree, I suppose. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, gents, funnily enough, the, the one category which I thought we'd all disagree on, and I thought I was being niche on, we've all agreed. I also went with Charlie <laughs> Allison, purely because of that 70. But that in itself was was impressive enough. As you mentioned, Kieran, the, the ice-cool nature of that boundary save, and not just the save itself, but the, the wherewithal and the game awareness to throw it to the right end. And it was a good take, actually, from Will Butterman. And as you said, obliterated the stumps. Absolute ecstasy at the Cloud County grounds at the end of that game. And it's been a very difficult tournament for Essex. It really has. I don't think that we can shy away from that. I mean, both myself and Kieran did actually predict them to be at least in the quarterfinals, if not even contending for this trophy. But yeah, it was good to see them get a win on the board. And Good to see Charlie Allison making that step up. And something which really stood out to me, I'm not sure if you two can just add on to this, gents, but have you seen his footwork against spin? Because that, to me, really stood out in particular in that Middlesex game against the likes of Luke Holman. I mean, I, I just thought the way in which he, he dances down the track, he's aggressive, he's proactive against spin bowling. I still think his sweep shot could do with a little bit of work. I think he looks a little bit tentative in terms of playing that shot in first 11 cricket, but... The footwork looks very promising, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think that's really important for his role. He's coming in at coming in at seven ahead of wicketkeeper Butterman is quite quite important to be able to play spin, especially in the middle overs. You look at fifty over cricket; it's so important to be able to knock it around into gaps. You know, in the olden days, people used to talk about the first ten was important because of power play, the last ten was important because they whacked it, and the middle thirty people used to say was boring. Not a lot happened. But now they're not looking for 180, 250. They're looking for 350, 400 in the 50 over game, be it the World Cup, be it the one match about one the cup or whatever format it is. If it's 50 over cricket, you've got to be taking roughly six and over, if possible, off spin in the middle overs, which is not always spin, but a lot of it's spin. And you're right, if, if they've got deep square leg back and deep mid wicket and you might not back yourself to sweep it past them, what's your, what's your aggressive stroke to open up angles? And to use your feet isn't just for hitting fours and sixes. If you think about it, if you've got short extra cover and short mid wicket in front of you if you then use your feet there's a different angle you can get your one slightly easier from two three yards down off 19 20 yards rather than 22 yards so you're dead right absolutely crucial to use your feet to spin in middle overs 50 over cricket 100 percent. and funnily enough the the inspiration behind that segment was peter trigo on the summer oh, no. because <laughs> don't tell him that <laughs> well yeah oh, 
I hope Peter Trigger doesn't listen then because, yeah, the ego doesn't need stroking anymore. But goodness me, it was a great segment. So give him his plaudits. It was a very interesting segment, in particular when he mentioned about playing left arm finger spin. Yeah. And that is where the inspiration came from because I, I just looked at Charlie Allison's footwork. It's something I always look at when it comes to any cricketer when they're playing spin. If they're planted in the crease and they've got limited shot selection, that does bug me a little bit. But when they're utilising their feet, they're dancing down the track. As you said, Harry, they're manipulating the field. Even if it's for just ones and twos, it doesn't have to go for four and six every single time. That stands out to me, and that is something which I really noticed with Charlie Allison's game so far this week. So, yeah, we're all in agreement, folks. Charlie Allison is the under-25 player of the week in group Pagans. Before you move on, just funny you say that. So talking to Triggs, obviously we were on commentary together for half an hour, and I think it was the middle overs period, talking about that, and I've actually got out to left arm spin the last two Saturdays. So it was actually quite funny that Trees was given this really useful, as you say, the piece, the fact that you, you know, as a, as a non-Somerset fan is watching the stream and you remember that piece. It was, it was almost me asking him a question for my benefit from a coaching period in the middle of us on commentary together. So <laughs> I can be honest about that now. Yeah, it was a good segment. And for those who haven't watched it, watch it back. I do thoroughly recommend it. Very interesting in particular given the fact that Triggs was was good against spin bowling. So, yeah, he knows what he's talking about, to say the very least. But, chaps, aside then from that under-25 player of the week segments, let's move on to our fourth and final category in Group A this week, which is, of course, our team of the week. So, Harry Everett, who have you selected as your standout yeah. team in Group A this week? I've mentioned them already. Um, I'm going to have to go with Leicestershire. On Sunday, they beat Hampshire, and early in the week, to beat Lanks, two of the big, bigger counties. You think about um, Leicestershire, count, bounce back from that Notts loss. Notts lost by four wickets. That was DLS. So to come and to come and win those big games, I, I'm just impressed. Every time I watch Leicestershire play, you know, Friday and Sunday this week, two big, big wins, racking up 411 for six. You've got Patel, Budinger, Hill, Hanscom, Ackerman, Mulder, Kimber. I think that is one of the best batting lineups in the whole comp. And you back that up with the bowling from Scriven, Wright, Mulder. I know Wright's going to Sussex next year. Then Ackerman spin, Kimber comes in occasionally. I just think they are a serious package. And yeah, just, just to have a week where you beat Lancashire with, you know, even their big names, I know they're missing a few, but Lancashire's still got you know, some quality players. Quality players. Keaton Jennings is going to be right up there with one of the top scorers in this competition, I would guess. And scored big hundreds at the top. And then, you know, to play someone like Hampshire yesterday who, Again, you know, Middleton Gubbins, that's a quality opening partnership. Press is a quality player. So to stop those guys from getting to 300, it's hell of an effort. And I've just got a lot of love for Leicestershire at the moment. And what Sean Jarvis is doing with the, the beer and Bolty and all these initiatives to get more, more of the fans around Leicestershire in to watch cricket in the one-day cup, I just think is massive and brilliant. And they're doing a very good job, aren't they, on the field? As you mentioned, backing it up are the foxes of Leicestershireans. I'm glad you mentioned Sol Budinger because he's having a very good tournament so far. 263 runs, averaging 52.6. And look at that strike rate, 134.87 in list A cricket. So, yeah, Leicestershire are my standout team of the week. I did have an honourable mention, though, Kieran, and I'm not sure if you would have selected Leicestershire or this county, but I've also put Kent's name in the mix purely because of their performances this week and, in particular, the, the performances of Matt Parkinson and Daniel Bell Drummond, I think those two really have catalysed this rejuvenation in Kent's form. So did you choose Leicestershire or Kent for this particular uh, I, week, Kieran? I have both written down. I was torn between <laughs> both. Um, I was leaning towards Leicestershire because, um, obviously, Kent beat Surrey and Middlesex. They did also lose to Lanks. 
Um, so, you know, I would have probably lent towards Leicestershire. But yeah, I, I did have Kent written down as well. And as you say, um, yeah, some big performances, particularly Matt Parkinson's um, fourth in one of those games. Uh, I, I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't have a problem with, with either side, but I would probably lean towards Leicestershire for obviously the reasons that, that you guys have given. And to be honest, they are having a great time of it, aren't they? As we shall discuss when we look at the table, because at the top of Group A, at the end of the second week, are the Foxes of Leicestershire County Cricket Club on eight points after playing just five matches. In second are Hampshire on six points. In third are Kent, also on six points, but having played an extra game and with an inferior net run rate. In fourth are Nottinghamshire on five points. In fifth and sixth place are Yorkshire and Lancashire, respectively, both on four points apiece. In seventh, on three points, are Surrey. In eighth, having played an extra game in hands and also with an inferior net run rate, are Essex on three points. And in ninth and bottom place of Group A at the end of the second week are Middlesex on one point. So it's looking very interesting in Group A, to say the least. As we mentioned, Kent have had a little bit of a resurgence. Hampshire still look very strong and Leicestershire really are the front runners in that group, probably the favourites to top it, to be honest, after those victories against Hampshire and Lancashire over the course of these last seven days. So, yeah, group of death for a reason. I think it was very apt that we we termed it that before the start of this year's tournament. And, yeah, Group A is certainly living up to the billing over the course of these first two weeks in the 2023 Metro Bank One Day Cup. But, gents, aside from our discussion about Group A, Let's switch our focus to Group B. And Kieran, I'll start with you first and foremost, mate. What have you selected as your standout batting performance in Group B over the course of this second week? I would be very surprised if anybody has a different answer. Um, yeah. It's James Bracey. Um, it would Never. be difficult for it to not be. Um, like we spoke last week about Prithvi Shaw's enormous 200. Um and, you know, it, it's a lot of the same reasons to hit a score as high as 224 off 151 balls. Um, I think it's the 11th highest list day total ever. I think you'll have some more stats on that. Um, but, yeah, just setting a platform at the top of the order, a huge score. And obviously uh, it, it's gone towards uh, a big team score as well. So I, I think it would be difficult to look past James Bracey for um the standout batting performance. Harry, did you go for the same? I'm, I'm guessing that we might all be in agreement here, gents, because, yeah, James Bracey did put on a record-breaking 2-2-4 not out, as, as Kieran mentioned, but <laughs> did you agree with that, Harry? Yeah, it pains me that all the records have been broken against Somerset this year. I mean, obviously, I've watched a lot of this group. Normally, I'm very good at double and triple and quadruple screening, but there's so much Metro Bank one cup action at the same time. When I'm on comms and there's six games on in a day, I find it hard to to see much of Group A. So I've just seen a lot of Group A having Group B, sorry, been at every Somerset home game commentating. But I didn't go to Bristol yesterday with a knee injury was obviously hindering me, but um watched most of it on the stream um when, when the glitches and the <laughs> the stream allowed and I could see what was going on. But um yeah, he just whacked it to all parts. I mean, I don't know why Somerset opened with Danny Lamb. That's a bit of a bizarre one. I've been saying on comms all year, Danny Lamb's a death bowler. He should be bowling the last 15. I don't know why he's opening the bowling. Ned Leonard's been in and out the side. Josh Davey was going to play, then he didn't. He's been pretty fragile for a year or two, and we, and we did miss. You know, Somerset missed Jack Brooks and Josh Davey, missed an experienced seamer who can move the ball around early on and have experience at death. And having one of those two would have massively helped 
I'm trying to defend Somerset here because, you know, there's no denying James Bracey batted very well. Um, Bobby Bracey racking it to all parts and fair play capitalised on a flat deck with a short boundary against an inexperienced, weak bowling attack. They were pretty much cannon fodder, really. It's bizarre when George Thomas, a man who barely bowled in the first couple of games, is the, the lowest economy rate of the Somerset attack. So, um, no, well played, James Bracey. And to carry a bat for 50 overs is very rarely seen done these days. And as a wicketkeeper and a captain, phenomenal effort. It really was. And we mentioned the word record-breaking because this is exactly what this knock was. It's the highest ever list day score by a Gloucestershire cricketer, which in itself is a masterful achievement. It really is magnificent from James Bracey. So deserves all of the credit, all of the plaudits, all of the, the recognition in the world for this knock. Because as you said, Harry, this was a mammoth effort from Bracey this week, carrying your bats over the course of 50 overs. And yes, that Somerset bowling outfit is inexperienced, but there's still talent there. I mean, you had an international cricketer in Curtis Camper bowling as well. It's not as though he's playing, you know, all second 11 cricketers who aren't ready for this level of cricket. He still had to apply himself well, and he certainly did that, didn't he? 34s and, uh, and five sixes to his name over the course of that massive knock. And in terms of the total that Gloucestershire put on Kieran, you were right, it is one of the highest in the history of List A cricket. Seventh, in fact, the seventh highest total in the history of the format. So, a great game for Gloucestershire. To be honest, a decent week for the West Country outfit as they've started to consolidate their place as a playoff contender in this year's Metro Bank One Day Cup. And James Bracey, after a very sedate start, which saw him score 54 runs at 13.5 in his first four innings, all of a sudden he's catapulted himself into some form just when his team needed to the most. So shout out to James Bracey, a very special knock to say the least. But before we get on to our standout bowling display of the week, gents, considering we do have Harry here and his expert analysis on Somerset County Cricket Club, I think we did just have to bring up this point because yesterday Sean Dixon did have quite an impassioned interview, didn't he, after the game in terms of the situation that Somerset find themselves in. So, Harry, what have you made? of the West Country Outfits campaign in the One Day Cup because, yes, they're missing a lot of players. Yes, they have been at the end of a couple of shellackings in the past couple of games. But what have you made of their performances in this year's Metrobank One Day Cup so far? Yeah, it's been painful, mate, to be honest, because I came in positive again. I always try and be positive. You know, West Country born and bred, worked at Somerset, contacted them for as long as live streams been happening since lockdown, really. So, Watched a lot of them, played a lot of cricket against a lot of these young guys coming through. I'm quite good mates with them, really. And it, I get last year, I thought with Hildith and Davies and that middle order, I thought Somerset on paper were one of the best sides in the One Day Cup, Royal London One Day Cup, it was called back then. And again, this year, I thought without, without Davies and Hildith, wasn't worried at all because Camphor, I thought, was literally the best, other than maybe Pajar and Shaw, I thought Curtis Camphor was the third best signing in the match back One Day Cup, both groups, full stop. Um, I couldn't believe some of the Somerset fans not knowing about him. I was like, have you not watched the World Cup? Have you not watched Test Cricket, T20 Internationals? He is a quality, quality performer. And I went down to Truro um, when Somerset played Cornwall in the warm-up game, smashed 100 everywhere. I was doing laps of the boundary, picking up his fours and sixes. And the guy's unreal. And the guy, the guy can bowl as well. And they've got so much strength in the Somerset side. Yes, the bowling's poor, um, if we're being brutally honest. But if Brooks and Davey were were fit. I spoke to Jack Brooks at Turo, did a couple of laps with him then, and he said he wasn't going to play every game, which is fair enough. If Davey was fit, I think Brooks and Davey would have played almost alternate games. And having that experienced guy 
Brooks with his not only his first class hundred for Yorkshire, but all his bowling experience at Yorkshire, Somerset, etc. Josh Davy with his World Cup, you know, back to that twenty fifteen World Cup when he was leading the wicket taking head of Stark and Bolt. You know, Josh Davy's a quality performer. If he if he was fit and made a big difference, Casey Aldridge, massive blow. He had a batted seven probably headed to Danny Lamb and he was bowling really well. Alfie Ogborn having a shin injury, that's a real blow. He's more consistent and more experienced. As you saw him get James Vince in his first first class game, more experienced than JT Langridge. So you can make excuses, missing a few bowlers, but I don't know. I found it hard to work out the top seven, where they fit in. I want Bartlett to be facing more balls, but he's not really performed. I want Rue, Camphor, Dixon to be facing more balls, but Thomas is the aggressive opening in the power play. And just as Andy Mead failed in the first four games, suddenly he went big, you know, he's done well. You know, he got 70-odd, got 100-odd, got, got 50-odd. Even yesterday, he got 55 or 46 balls. So just as he was about to be dropped, he's come good and he, and he looks quality. So it's a tricky one because the, the top seven or eight, or eight looks good. It's just the bowling's not quite gone right. And they've not fielded as well. The T20 Blast fielding side, superb. Championship fielding, superb. They've dropped a couple of catches. Fielding's not been quite what it has been in the last couple of weeks. So they've just lost their heads a little bit. And if you're going to make excuses, Privy Shaw, massive double hundred. Bobby Bracey, massive double hundred. Pajara, possibly if he'd opened the batting in the first innings, might have got a double hundred. So you could say in the last three games, one man has taken a game away from them. Well, I think that's a fair assessment, to be honest, Harry. And again, Kieran, I want to know your thoughts just before we do move on to our bowling displays, because... It has been a very, very disappointing campaign for Somerset, hasn't it? I mean, what have you made as a as a neutral in terms of the West Country outfits' performances in the competition so far? I think it's it's difficult, as you say, when you're missing a lot of players and, and a lot of sides in this tournament do have um, a lot of players that haven't played a lot of professional cricket. Um, obviously, there's a lot of sides that have got a lot of young players. Um, and obviously, as Harry mentions, you know, there's the likes of Curtis Camper and, and James Rue, who are obviously very talented cricketers, but you can't really be looking to like one or two players to to do everything for you. Um, and it does take a little bit of bedding in time for for sides that don't play a lot together and, and they're sort of mashed together because of losing players to the hundred, which obviously Somerset are one of the sides that do lose quite a lot of players, um, similar to, to Surrey which sort of shows it's an indictment of the strength of the white ball side that they have that many players that, that are missing. Um, and I think, you know, that it, it's it's a few games in now and obviously things aren't, aren't going well. You can put it down to that it, it does take a little bit of time to bed in, but also um, it is just a little bit, bit of an experience and obviously missing players isn't helpful. Um, and unfortunately, that's the situation they're in. And, and there's not really that much you can do about that because you can't, really expect people that haven't played a lot of cricket this season um, to do everything. And, and you also can't expect a couple of the better players to, to sort of carry the side. No, again, I think that's completely fair, Kieran. And again, if we are just being pragmatic, if we're looking at the, the wider context of Somerset season, yes, this has been an incredibly disappointing tournament, but they won the T20 Blast. I mean, if you were to say at the start of the season, yes, you'll have a poor one-day cup, but you'll win the T20 Blast, I think most Somerset fans would take that. So, again, just look in the, the wider context, look at the bigger picture. It is a very young, a very inexperienced team, and who knows in the future, their learning experiences in this year's competition could prove to be very fruitful in the future. So, again, disappointed for Somerset, but, yeah, it's just one of those, fingers crossed, they can finish the campaign strong in these these last couple of matches that 
they've got in Group B. But, gents, aside then from our analysis of Somerset's campaign, let's take a look at the stand-up bowling displays in Group B this week. And, Kieran, I'll start again with you, mate. Who have you selected in terms of the, the stand-up bowling display in Group B this week? I'm currently hedging between two performances. Um, I've got Luke Proctor's 4 for 34 written down, which I think is probably the better of the two that I've got. Um, that you know, that economy right through through nine overs, obviously taking four important wickets, um, is a very good performance. Um, and he's also um strung that together with a few few more wickets um in a, a couple of games um after that as well. Um I've also got Logan Van Bake written down um four for forty eight and a couple of very big wickets in that and not that it's at all relevant to his um ability to take wickets but he also got runs um in that game I would lean towards Luke Proctor um obviously that the figures are a little bit better 34 rather than 58 um I would say though Logan Van Bake got Jack Taylor who was on 121 and Tom Price who was on 43 um so it's sort of a toss-up um, between the two, I think Proctor is possibly a little bit more impressive just due to the, the economy. Um, but either or, I, I will say Proctor. Um, but for me, both very impressive bowling performances. Fair enough. Again, two nice choices there. Harry's nodding his head in agreement. So I wonder if he's also selected yeah. one of those displays. Who have you gone with in terms no, of bowling actually, display, Harry? No, I've got a clear front runner for me, which hasn't been mentioned, which I'm glad. But yeah, Luke Proctor definitely gets an honourable mention. And I've gone for another one, both of them from yesterday. Yesterday, some good bowling performances. And I've gone, I'm sure you'll have this one. Oliver Hannon Dolby, 10 overs, 5 for 31 with two maidens, economy rate of 3.10. And I think Worcestershire are a useful side. They, I'm a bit gutted for them because they sold out on New Road yesterday. Absolutely buzzing that they sold out. Those people came in and you know, Jake Lintot's put on an Instagram story at 2.30. Love a 2.30 early finish. And you just think, oh, that's a bit gutted for the fans at Worcestershire. But, you know, Barnard got the openers and then Oliver Hannan-Dolby ripped out the middle order. Rob Jones, who's underrated player at Lanks the last few years. And Jake Libby, the Cornishman, who we know has been quality at Notts and Worcestershire. So to get those two big wickets. And then Matthew Waite. See, Worcestershire came down to Somerset. And I honestly think if Matthew Waite had played at Somerset, then Somerset wouldn't have won a game all group stage. Um, Cam Jones came in for that game. Um, young lad, give him a chance, fair enough. But Matthew Waite was rested. And when Cox and Joe Leach got out, they sort of collapsed Worcestershire. And Somerset got away with a win there that they probably wouldn't have done. And if you add in Matthew Waite's potential 10 overs as well, I think he's such a quality, quality player. I've had him in my fancy teams for the One Day Cup and the Blast and the County Championship this year. Maybe not the Blast, but definitely won the Cup and Championship. Anyway, um, so Hannon Dolby getting weight for 44 when he looked pretty set and getting Logan Van Beek. We know what he can do. And then finishing off getting Baker first ball. That's that's a quality five for, for Hannon Dolby. And Worcestershire, who, who are a decent side in this comp, that, that helped Worcestershire to a, a massive easy win by nine wickets. Yeah, it was a brilliant performance, wasn't it? From the Owl at New Road this week. And you mentioned about the Worcestershire fans being a bit disappointed, Harry. I was there actually at New Road on uh, on Sunday. I wasn't exactly disappointed. No, of course you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> from Oliver Hannah Dorby. Five for 31. And it was quite funny because he was getting quite a lot of stick on the boundary at New Roads, in particular after his first couple of overs. I think one of them was actually a maiden over. So I'm not sure where the, the root cause of that stick was coming from, but he soon silenced them with those figures of 5 for 31, completely ripped the heart out of that Worcestershire batting lineup. And to be honest, over the course of this week, 
his figures from his 20 overs against Worcestershire and Glamorgan have returned figures of 9 for 74. He's currently the leading wicket-taker in the entire competition with 14 wickets at an average of 9.07. He's just having an incredible time of it with the white ball in hand. It's great to see the Owl in the wickets and producing these match-defining spells for the Bear and Ragged staff. Oliver Hannon Dorby take about absolutely magnificent yet again for the West Midlands outfits over the course of these last seven days and thoroughly deserving, I think, gents, of being the standout bowling display of the week in this second week. But aside then from our bowling displays, let's take a look at our under-25 player of the week. And Harry, I'm interested to see who you've selected for this particular category. Who do you say is the under-25 player who's really stood out to you over the course of these past few days? Yeah, so I've got I've got two names. I think they're fairly even. I think one you two will probably both potentially have. And I've got one that I hope maybe only I will have. Um, but I'll go with my honor, honourable mention. Um, not that I'm annoyed about it from Somerset point of view, but 23-year-old, pretty short. Um, not just his knock against Somerset, but even more recently yesterday, 125 not out off 76 balls with 15 fours, seven sixes. And Rob Keogh got 42 or 40 balls and no one else got 20. And I think Durham are one of the best teams in the comp, which might sound daft. You look at the tables, they're mid-table. But Durham's, their top six, Clark, Lees, Bellingham, Jones, I'm surprised they only got 198 all out. And that's testament to the man that's already been mentioned, Luke Proctor, who's four for 34, of course. But Durham has still got some bowling, a bit like Somerset, much more batting heavy, not quite so good with the bowling. They got George Drizzle from Brizzle, who, um, who got three for 46, the man... He was at Gloss this year, then was at Somerset. Now he's up at Durham. Um, <laughs> it sounds harsh, but he's not a special off-spinner. So for him to get three Northlands wickets, I was slightly surprised by um, on the scorecard. But pretty sure just whacked it everywhere again. Um, so he has to get mentioned. Superb. But another guy, a very cheap fancy cricket draft purchase, who I like. I saw him in the warm-up. Game. When did I see him? Ah, I saw him in pre-season. Somerset seemed to play Gloucestershire and Glamorgan in pre-season um, most games. And Ben Kellaway, 30 off 20 balls, five fours and a six um, against Sussex yesterday. Sort of a, a middle order around. He bowled 10 overs for 48. Not great on Sunday. So you might think, oh, bit of a weird one. But he's done fairly well. This is this is slightly, it's the week, but almost for him in the tournament as a whole. Um, earlier in the week, Glamorgan played Warwickshire. Callaway got 67 or 41 balls, so it's probably more for this knock. That had four fours and four sixes. And um, in, in the first innings, he got three for 56 in, in seven overs. So it's more for that, that performance. But Ben Callaway, I've, I've watched quite a lot of him on the YouTube streams from club cricket um, to pre-season games. And he is just such an underrated player. We haven't seen much from Dan Douthwaite this year. And I think Ben Callaway has almost taken his spot. He's only 19. Came through the Morgan Academy, um, played Cardiff MCCU back when it was called that. And I just think he's phenomenal. I only made his T20 and List A debut this year, but he's been such an exciting talent. And the way he came in and just changed games and can strike the ball from ball one, I think he, I think he's class. And um, big shout out to Ben Kellaway. To be honest, Harry, I'm in complete and utter agreement. I also chose Ben Kellaway because, as you mentioned, that 67 against the Bears and the 3 for 56 was incredibly impressive. But again, you look tournament-wide in terms of his performances. Scored 82 on his list day debut against Worcestershire in the first week. He's having a great time of it. And as you mentioned, 19 years old, the, the world really is his oyster, isn't it? He's got such a, a bright future 
in this game, played for the Welsh minor counties as well. He really is a special prospect. So if you're a Glamorgan fan, I think the advice from all of us, to be honest here on the Counts Cricket Podcast, keep a close eye on this fella's progress. He is a very, very talented cricketer, to say the least. And Kieran, would you agree with us? Do you think Ben Kellaway has been the standout under 25 player of the week in Group B or... Have you chosen someone slightly different? Who have you selected for that category? Uh, I've gone rogue again. Um, and it's actually funny that um, George Drissel's name was just mentioned there. <laughs> he's, you, you mentioned the fact that he's he's not uh, really a special spinner. But I think that for this this last week sort of has worked in his favour. Um, the 3 for 46 against Northlands was his, his best list A figures. Um, he averages... 46 with the ball in this day cricket so uh, you know fair enough to, to mention that he's not particularly the, the most special of, of bowlers um, but took two for 60 which you know for 60 isn't the fantastic part against of that uh, against Derbyshire but picked up the wickets of Hyder Ali and Brooke Guest both big wickets and then um, as Harry mentioned against Northants who hit 204 for four took three wickets of the numbers two three and four um, so for me, um, that warranted sort of being a somewhat special um, week. I know, yeah, I, I completely agree um, with your shout as well. Um, I just thought that was um, that was an interesting one, and particularly the fact that against Northampton he took his best list day figures. Yeah, I think that's completely fair to be honest, Kieran. A good week for George Drissel, and to be honest, a good week for the for the under twenty five talent in Group B. The fact that we've mentioned so many players for this particular segment is a testament to that. So, again, some very very promising youngsters in that group, to say the least. And we've been treated to a number of excellent performances over the course of this last week or so. But, chaps, moving on then to our fourth and final category of Group B, which is of course the team of the week. Who have you guys selected? Kieran, I'll start with you first, mate. Who have you gone with for this particular segment? It pains me to say it for, for the second week in a row, but it's difficult to look past Warwickshire. Um, still unbeaten to one very uh, dominant win against Worcestershire, um, bowling them up for 108 and 30 overs and then knocking it off. One down inside 20 overs. Um, Ed Barnard and, and Ollie Hannan-Dolby, as we've mentioned, both very good in, in that that game um, and then the, the win against Glamorgan was a, a very different type of win um, hitting 331 by no means is that a non-chaseable target um, and at the back end of the game had they not managed to, to bowl Glamorgan out that very much would have been a chaseable target um, but it speaks to the strength of Warwickshire's bowling attack um, again the likes of Ed Barnard and Oli Hannan-Dolby um, three and four wickets respectively in that game there's a bowling attack that is good enough to bowl sides out, even when the total might not be a massive one. Um, you wouldn't say 331s by any means a bad total. I think you'd be happy with that most weeks. Um, but Glamorgan would have been on, on track to um, knock that off. Obviously, they, they were 24 short of that with three overs left come the end of the game. So had they not been bowled out, there's a very good chance that they would have chased that. Um, but, you know, for a lot of the bowling attack to chip in and take wickets important wickets um at important times of the game um and for that to be the, the second win um in in the week and continue to be unbeaten i think it's difficult to suggest that anybody else has had a better week than warwickshire yet again 
Yeah, to be honest, mate, I completely agree. The only unbeaten team left in the competition. Two victories, as you said, which displayed completely different side to the Bears as well, because you had on one hand the, the dominance against Worcestershire, that Derby Day demolition at New Road, but it was also the tenacity, the courage, the bravery at times against Glamorgan, in particular the captaincy of Will Rhodes, because he set some really proactive fields in that game, and the traps ultimately worked against that Glamorgan batting lineup. So this was a really impressive week for the Bears. They've consolidated their place at the top of Group B, and I'll tell you what, I really like what I see from this particular team. The balance from 1 to 11 is exceptional. And when you do add in the likes, maybe of Danny Briggs, if he can come in at times in this competition when he's not playing in the 100, and when we've got guys coming in, this team just looks even better. But in particular, the bowling attack. You look at Jake Lintott, Oliver Hannon-Dorby, Craig Miles, Liam Norwell could slot back in. And I tell you what, someone who was very impressive yesterday against Worcestershire was Michael Booth. After a very difficult debut against Glamorgan, he came back very strong yesterday in Worcester. So things are looking very, very promising for the Bear and Ragged staff of Warwickshire. Fingers crossed they can continue this form and top the group because, yeah, I don't want another quarterfinal after what happened against Essex earlier on this season in the T20 Blast. But Harry, have you gone with the Bears as well or has another team well, in Group we'll continue- stood out to you? We'll continue the Bears loving briefly. I mean, I like that Kai Smith got given a go at three yesterday. I know he only faced two balls, but if I'd been yeah. if I'd been on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I'd have waxed lyrical about Hamza Sheikh. I, I had the privilege of chatting individually one-to-one with Hamza Sheikh. Um, well, Pajara last week was incredible to speak to him for a good couple of minutes, but the, the Warwickshire game, Hamza Sheikh. And, oh, Ed Barnard, that was it. I had a good chat with both of them. And Ed Barnard is an interesting one because I... I played against his brother in the, the Saris week from Shrewsbury School. They come down and I was chatting to him because last week I got bold Pollock caught Barnard and Ed Pollock and Ed Barnard's brother come down and they're quality cricketers. And Ed Barnard was saying how gutted he is that he can't go and enjoy the, the week with his mates and go and play golf and have a few drinks and play cricket. But he's a professional cricketer. And how well is he doing? Since he got that chance at Sutton Coalfield to open the batting in the, in the warm-up games, the Bears roadshow days. And coming in, him and Yates is a quality opening partnership. Right-left-hand combo. I mean, my only slight thing with Warwickshire, I don't think Michael Burgess is number three. I love Michael Burgess. His twin 180s, brilliant um, in, in the Champo last year. I think he should be more of a four or five. Will Rose, we know he likes to slog across the line to leg side. He can get away being a number three, but I like to see Hamza Shake go higher up. Him and Kai Smith deserve to be facing more balls. I think he is quality. Ethan Brooks could hang around around six or something, but get Hamza Shake up to even four. I think he is a serious class act. And when you've got Ollie Hannon Dolby, getting nine for 74 in two games and, you know, Barnard doing it with ball and bat. I, I still remember back to, I went to Wantage Road to watch, and I went to Grace Road to watch some England Lions games about five years ago. And Ed Barnard was barely heard of at this point, maybe even seven years ago. And I was so impressed with this young little scrawny lad, really, bowling lovely sort of wheels, really. Not a kind of guy that doesn't look quick, but gets it on you. First change and, and batted well. I've always loved Ed Barnard and Anyway, that's far too much about the Warwickshire loving. I'm actually going to be controversial, and I'm going to go North Ants. Having bigged up Warwickshire, I'm going to go for this category, I'm going to go North Ants. Smash Somerset. Yes, Privy Shaw is a massive part of this, but I like Whiteman as well. I could chat with Sam Whiteman there in the year. He's a quality player. Um, two big overseas players for them, but to smash Somerset, fine. You might think that's easy, the way Somerset are playing at the moment, but I, I also said earlier, Durham and Leicestershire were my two sort of big picks for this one-day cup. Two Division two sides, potentially underrated, 
who I think have got a good chance in this one-day cup. I'd be surprised if Durham lose again. Um, I was surprised to see Northants beat them by six wickets. As we mentioned earlier, Luke Proctor going through them. But Northants, it'd be interesting to see how they do without Privy Shaw because not many, not many other players are getting big runs, particularly in these two games. But, you know, Privy Shaw is part of the Northants team for this competition and they've had two emphatic wins. So I'm going to go with them. Fair enough, Harry. I think that is very fair, actually, to choose Northants because, as you said, they've had a very good week and, again, they are right up there, as we shall discuss when we look at the Group B table because, as we mentioned, at the top of the table, having won all four of their matches so far, are the Bear and Ragged Staff of Warwickshire on eight points. In second, as Harry mentioned, after a very impressive week, are Northants on six points with a really healthy net run rate of plus 1.23 as well. So, a couple more wins, they should have their place in the playoffs of this year's one-day cup. And in third and fourth, both on six points apiece, but with varying net run rates, are Gloucestershire and Worcestershire. In fifth and sixth place are Glamorgan and Durham, respectively, both on five points apiece. In seventh, having only played four matches, so they do have a game in hand on the sides above them, are Derbyshire on two points. And in eighth and ninth positions, both on two points and with massively negative net run rates, are Sussex and Somerset County Cricket Club. So, Group B, again, if you were to ask my opinion, unless Derbyshire do win that game in hand, probably is now a six-horse race. Going from Warwickshire, Northants, Gloucestershire, Worcestershire, Glamorgan and Durham, I do think that all of those teams are in with an excellent chance of making the playoffs. And this next week or so will be an absolute dogfight in that group. So, We'll be there to cover it at the end of the week, a week which, to be honest, promises to be very captivating in Group B as all of those teams battle it out for a shot at this year's one-day cup playoffs. But, chaps, that is essentially it for today's episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast. Harry, thank you very much for coming on as a special guest. We'll no doubt touch bases again at some point before the season finishes for a chat about all things Somerset and county cricket as a whole. And, Kieran, obviously, as always, mates, Obviously, a pleasure to get you on for a chat about the Metro Bank One Day Cup. So, yeah, very much looking forward to this third and, and final week of the group stages. The competition does enter the playoffs on the 25th. So, the group stage finishes on the 22nd. That will be the date of our final review show. And by that point, in eight days' time, we will have the six playoff teams for this year's Metro Bank One Day Cup. So, Stick with us, folks. We'll be here to take you through every single step of the way. And we've got plenty more content lined up for you in this year's Metro Bank One Day Cup. But that is it from us three here at the Counter Cricket Podcast for today's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you very much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.